hey, would you like an opportunity to own a six hundred thousand dollar home? Would you like the opportunity to learn how to earn enough money to own a G wagon? Like right. no one's gonna come and ask you these things. You've got to be curious and open minded, ask questions, be able to learn and discover new ways to maybe make money or earn money. And then I think the whole world opens up for you. Welcome to the Push Podcast. Why push? Because a nudge is just too friendly. And friend, we're here to help you get your shit together. I'm Eddie. And I'm Janelle. And we're the Copelands. We've got three daughters, two businesses, a mortgage, and lots of responsibilities. So just like you, we're struggling to find that perfect balance of ambitious go-getter hustle while still staying present, loving our kids, and working on our relationship. <laughs> and doing the laundry, going to the grocery store. Oh, and don't forget being mindful. You yeah, mindful all of this. the stuff. <laughs> So if you're juggling all the things, but you're also trying to get to the next level, guess what? You're in the right place. So get ready to be pushed. Hey guys, welcome back to the Push Podcast. I'm Janelle Copeland. And I'm E. Copeland. You got a little lint on your eye. Can I just get that for you? Please, please, thank you. Speaking of, I had a what in the world. Someone told you at a party recently that you had lint on your head. (laughs) No, so someone told me. So I was sitting down and someone at a, looked, party. at a party and someone looked at me and, and they saw something on top of my head. And for whatever reason, they thought it was like a, a mole or a beauty mark, mm-hmm. or whatever you call it, people. Uh-huh. Uh, I say beauty mark, but he, I think on a guy, it would be a mole. He's, it's a, whatever. Okay. I, you know, I find myself beautiful right, okay. in heart and inside. Mm-hmm. And so they said, you know, I can, I can help you get rid of that mole on top of your head. And I was like, a mole on top of my head? Like... <laughs> <laughs> it, it mean it immediately I thought if it was a mole and you can see it, that means it's very large. Right. And it's something that's probably sticking out. And so I rub my head and I go, Oh no, that's lint. And they just kind of sit back and said, Oh. <laughs> Not like, oh, I, I oh my bad. Right. I confused that with but then I asked, what would you have done? Right. What were said, you gonna do? And they said, Oh, you just burn a needle and then you just cut it off. And I said, What? <laughs> <laughs> like that or doesn't, you just go to the dermatologist. Yeah, right. You you cannot just be performing no, you know, surgery. D- surgery on people. Mm-hmm. And so that was just really, that was my what in the world. Like, Well, people that I follow on TikTok that are yeah. dermatologists, you know how they like show the video and then they rate it? Like, yeah. oh, this is a <laughs> zero out of, I give this a zero out of 10 right. for sterilization, for right. procedure. No for Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's all I can think of. Like when someone tells you they're going to perform surgery on something. I can't believe that was a solution. Like I literally yeah. thought, no, that's not, no, you can't do that. No, that's I, not a good solution. I, yeah. Do you think I would let you sit on t- like stand up above me and burn <laughs> something off of my skull? Well, at a no. party? At a, yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> where are we going to get pass. the fire from and where are you going to get the needle? Pass. And then they said, yeah, uh, you know, this is what we did. You know, my, my dad used to do this all the time. And I was like, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I had a mole. I guess I don't know what the correct proper term is, but Jordan had a mole like right by her eye that was right. getting bigger and bigger. I took her to the dermatologist and they just like, you know, used a scalpel, got it off real quick, gave her a little and anesthetic, I yeah, guess, and yeah. then cut it off, cauterized it. Yeah. I don't know. However you say that. And she was good. It's yeah. gone. I had one removed too. So my solution is go to the dermatologist. Yeah, go to, to a trained professional. Yeah. But my granny's generation was like, tie a hair around it, make it real tight or a fishing line. It'll come off. I'm like, yeah. well, that's one way to do it. So. Yeah. And then they wonder why they died from like, you know, random diseases. <laughs> oh, that's mean. <laughs> I know. 
Okay, yeah, um, I have a wet in the world. Yeah. My daughter, Jordan, who is a senior in high school, she asked me, Mom, can I have a couple friends over for dinner? And I was yeah. like, sure, okay. And then she said, can we have a gathering, though? It's like my theater department. Mm. I was like, yeah, you guys gathering. could be outside and right. gather, but you're not going to gather in my house, right? right? She goes, oh, perfect, no problem. So a couple days goes by, and she's like, you know, everybody loves your cooking, so they're really excited about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, no problem, I'll cook. And she's really, you know, thoughtful. She goes, if you want to order, that's fine, but everybody loves your cooking, so what are you going to make? And I was like, oh, I'll make pasta. How many kids is it? She goes, about 30. Yeah. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a gathering. That's a turn up. That's a cult. Yeah. So um, I was like, okay, I could knock out some quick pasta for 30 kids. Like they'll yeah. be in the backyard. Not really that big of a deal. And they came and they are theater kids. Yeah. They brought a speaker with lights on it. Like right. it was like with, a DJ. It a, was like DJ equipment. A, yeah. Disco light. Yeah. Like it was like. <laughs> I've never seen a speaker with a disco like yeah. it was like all in one package. So long story short, Jordan threw a rager in our backyard. Yeah. Like at one point I go, you need to walk out there and like go through the garage or something and just see like what's happening. <laughs> and you were like, you came back in, closed the door behind you all calm. And you said, they're standing on our patio furniture. <laughs> we're moving. I was like, I want out of here after this. I, and then they came in and out of the house multiple times. And then I thought to myself, and we talked about this. I said, you know, what if the neighbors call like the police because of the noise, right? Uh-huh. I mean, we got to have like a turn off of the noise, right? Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, if the police come, I just think I'm going to go to the front door with my shirt off, go chain. And, like, <laughs> you crazy black dad. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's what are you not talking about? Yeah. And then he was like, you know, what if they go in the backyard? And I was like, it can't do that. And we got this whole conversation. About whether like, it's the right. Yeah. Do you have rights? To be, but it, it just made me think we have not been to a house party in Since 30 years. <laughs> so, so it's like. <laughs> but yeah, so we threw a house party for like 30. I, I would say there was probably 40 kids oh my in God. the backyard. They were really point. nice. Very appreciative. Very good kids. Lots of them I listened like to the, the push podcast. I didn't like the fact that they were touching my walls too much. But, you know. Okay, guys. So. <laughs> Jordan's dad, Edward Copeland, wants to know why children, they're not children, they're almost adults. Yeah, but teenagers. Teenagers, every time you like go around a corner, you just, you have to like <laughs> use the wall to put your hands on it to like propel yourself through the next few steps. He was just watching everybody touch the walls, which is usually something I'm really weird about. Right. But yeah, so you were concerned I think, with that. Yeah, I think the only child syndrome kind of came over me. I mean, obviously I have, I have siblings, but- only child for 13 years came mm-hmm. over me and I was like, don't touch my stuff. Stop coming in my house. <laughs> oh my God, you're so mean. <laughs> no, but that's something I, I deal with. Like, I, like you know, I'm really protective of my own stuff. I think it's just because for yeah. a long time I had my own things. I didn't have to worry about people breaking stuff. Or, but when there's outside people that I have no influence over and they're just walking through, stomping through the house, you know, with muddy shoes and and, and They did and not have muddy dirty shoes. Hands. <laughs> they did not. None of that happened. And you know, a lot of them listen to the Push podcast yeah. and so do their I'm parents. I'm joking. Okay. Yeah, so say I'm it to joking. the camera that you're joking. So I am get. joking. You okay. guys, you're all more than welcome. But, you know, I do have problems. You do have problems because <laughs> you're not you don't like to share stuff with me. I do share things with you. Nah, you're pretty shitty when it comes to like where your stuff is, how it should be moved. Like if I closed your laptop like like this, you'd be upset. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's a certain you don't way, like people touching your stuff. There's a certain way you do certain things that mm. you maintain. Uh, hey, look, I was poor. 
when I was a kid. Okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, if I didn't take care of things and, you know, things didn't last and I didn't have them as long as I would like them to have. But them, interestingly so. enough, like we didn't have a ton of money either, but your mom never brought up the fact that you were poor. You said yesterday, I never knew how much money we had or didn't have. She never talked about money. Yeah, no, I didn't. Like you were talking about how um, when you were a kid, your mom would kind of throw at like how much things cost. Like if we left the lights on, it was like, this costs money. Like, we're, you know, money doesn't grow on trees type of stuff. And you were like, oh yeah, we never knew. I never knew how much, like money was never something we discussed. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, I don't re recall a moment where my mom specifically like threw out that this costs money. I'm, she has mentioned like money doesn't grow on trees, mm -hmm. all those kind of things. And, but not in a sense that I think that she thought I was being wasteful. Mm. Right. I think so I how did you know you were poor then. Because I think I had a sense of like, not poor. I shouldn't say poor. I shouldn't say we didn't have a lot of money. My mom had to make work two jobs at mm -hmm. certain points. So we may do, I didn't necessarily like feel when I was a kid that we were poor. So I should correct that. Yeah, Cause mom's listening. Right. But I would say that I knew I think I had a certain maturity of understanding that like there was no time. We didn't have an option. Like there was no wasting things. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't waste food. I didn't waste, you know, um, electricity. Like there were certain things I think I grew up kind of already intuitively knowing like, mm -hmm. hey, this is something you have to take care of. Got it. Right. Okay. Moving on. You okay. ready? Moving Hard on. Hard left. <laughs> yeah. Um, when we were in Italy, we were having a great time. The five of us, like as our kids get older, we really cherish those moments when we all get to create memories together as a family. And so one of the kids was like, we should get tattoos. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay. And <sighs> like, you know, do we really want to do this? Like, what would we get? And we kind of all decided that we wanted to get matching olive branch tattoos. Yeah. So we tried to make an appointment in Rome and it'd be something small, obviously Jordan and Kayla, they're actresses, they're aspiring actresses, and they don't want some massive tattoo like what we have. But right. the question that I want to ask the listeners is like, at what age do you think it's appropriate to get your first tattoo? Mm. Because our kids are 21, about to be 19 and 17. Obviously, Jordan's not 18. But to me, my rationale behind that is her very first tattoo is something meaningful that she wants to get that represents her family and right. memories and something that's important to us. And I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. that's not going to ever go away. It's not like she's trying to get the Tasmanian devil tattooed <laughs> on her ankle, right? Right. Or an anime character or something that she loves today as 17-year-old right. Jordan that she's going to grow out of. Does that make sense? 100%. And you agree? I, I agree 100%. I think um, my, th obviously, having tattoos, I think that, they can represent a certain stage in your life. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, as long as it's not something that you go, that's trendy, that you go, oh my God, I can't believe I got this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I do think something that's meaningful with family involved, I think it's appropriate. Yeah. You know. So I guess that's the poll. The question I want to ask our listeners is like, if your child wanted to get child, I mean, 17 is the youngest, right? right? I wouldn't have considered it at 15 or 17. Um, but I think she's going to be 18 in the next seven months or so. Right. And I feel like it's meaningful. And so we're going today to do that. Yeah. And she's super excited. Come but. may as you may all the judges. But yeah, I, I mean, don't I think care. People have feelings about tattoos. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it is rooted in how they were brought up and conditioned. Right. And so we understand. And that. maybe so it's generational. You, it's generational. And we are in a place where uh, tattoos have become really, really acceptable. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think like what tattoos meant in the 90s and then 2000s and, you know, how now y you can go 
go and to work and have your full sleeve done and not be it being an issue. Yeah. It's, it's been normalized. Um, but I, I know we know that some of y'all have some, you know, whether it be religious things or whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's hung up on that. But, you know, we think it's it's something that's good for her and she wants to do. Well, a couple of months ago, um, I was with another family member that was turning 18. We were talking about her getting a tattoo and one of her mom's friends said, you better not do that. That's so tacky. Like people mm. are going to judge you. And I was sitting there with my tank top on, <laughs> looking down at my arm and I like I didn't have anything to say. I just right. made eye contact with my niece and I just like looked at my arm and I was like. Well, you know, there's, there's so many things wrong with that statement. Not not so much the <laughs> fact that it was, you know, it could like, be know offensive. But like know your audience, right? first of all. But we, we, and this is a big thing for, especially for girls. We sometimes parent and lead girls to worry about the outside world, mm-hmm. right? To worry about what people think, to worry about judgment, to place so much value in that. And saying that to her, not because of like, hey, you know, make sure you're, you're thinking about it. You want to get something meaningful. You don't want to look at it and say, oh, I, I wish I didn't get totally that. Totally different conversation. Instead, you're like, people will judge you. Yeah. And it's and tacky is subjective. Be, mm-hmm. Again, you're talking about someone else. But so I just want to tell people, like, we have to stop doing that. It's, yeah. We don't do that with boys so much, mm-hmm. right? I think that when we, we talk about girls, we're like, your self-image, how people see you, how you're perceived, that's so important. And then mm-hmm. we wonder why... They, you know, they they They're grow so up, self-conscious. yeah, worried about the world and how they look, and all, and and they grow up in this mindset of comparison, comparison, comparison. Mm-hmm. So it starts with those little statements like that. But that is hilarious that yeah. she didn't know, like, understand her audience. <laughs> and I think there's been times where we've been guilty of it that we didn't know. I know, like the girls always say, like you told them, ah, those jeans don't look flattering on you, right? Right. Well, they like those jeans, so they right. want to wear those. I know that I've said, like, you need to put a bra on. Right. Why? Right. Because that looks ridiculous. Right. But again, it's like catching yourself knowing, like, if you want to walk out of the house and you don't think that's ridiculous, right. then you should do that. Yeah. You know? I still stand firm in the bra. But, <laughs> but. And I stand firm in, you know, high white socks. It's not something when you have nice, Big beautiful calves. Si- yeah. size calves that, you know, it's just, you know, may not go yeah. well with it. So the, there's the, a balance, I guess, of like you not being able to tell your kids, hey, that doesn't look really good on your type of body or what? Well, I think. Like I always, I, I'm always honest with them about what I think. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, one of the things they're, they're really great about is like they do whatever they want to do. Yeah. So they like they're uh, also like, Dad, that's old. Yeah, they're like, uh, whatever. It looks, I like it. Yeah, and then I think sometimes I make them a little self conscious of certain things. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm just trying to like, hey, this is I'm your father. I'm going to give you what I think it looks, you know, looks good for you. Uh, and you know, you do what you may. But I, I, I would probably say that I'm pretty good with not saying. What will people think? Yeah. What will your friends think? I never say that. Yeah. I'm always like, here's my opinion. I think I, I just- want you to look good for the outside world. Like, you know, like I'll just say like as a business owner, as a bakery owner, like one of the things we talk about in our passion and profit course is like you feel like shit all the time because you're never putting yourself first. Like it wouldn't hurt for you to wake up in the morning, put a little effort into your hair, put on some clothes that make you feel like a business owner versus a baker that's about to be covered in frosting. So I think doing certain things to feel good and look good will give you confidence, but there's a line of what you're talking about, and that is like telling somebody 
not to do something because, because. of what other people will think. Yeah. And so you got to find that line. And I think that that's something uh, it's, it's important. I think people have to understand the, the difference between, yeah. right? Like waking up and saying, I'm going to put myself together because when I look in the mirror and when I approach the world, I want to feel really mm -hmm. good about what I'm presenting to the world with confidence, with an understanding that um, this represents what's in the inside. Yep. Because I'm not naive to the fact that the way we interact with the world is is very important when it comes to your career, you're running a business, whatever it is. And so you're not going to escape what people think about you. But what I'm saying is, is don't put the weight in what you do based on what the world may think about you. You have to try to stay as close to your authentic self as it continues to change and evolve as much as you possibly can. Otherwise, you're going to be in this place of not feeling fulfilled and, and feeling dissatisfied with yourself because you'll never meet the expectation to the world because that's always fleeting and moving. Yeah. Like one thing I can just say and then we'll move on is like we do a lot of video content. Like we film and record this podcast. It goes on YouTube. It goes on TikTok, Instagram. And I don't like getting ready. I don't want right. to do my hair and my makeup and put on freaking lashes, but I also don't want to look crazy <laughs> on a video. Not because I think other people will say mean or hurtful things. I just want to put my best self out there. Yeah, yeah. And so like that's something as a woman we should be like aware of. It's like you don't have to get done up to do all of your TikToks or like right. social media posts. I don't agree with that. That's silly. Like just be your authentic self. But also if I'm putting out thoughtful content for my business, a training course or a podcast, I need to come prepared like I'm dressed for work right. and I feel better about that. So I take the time to do my makeup. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. You just have to take a shower and then throw on a tank top and, and just make sure my eyebrows are facing the right yeah. direction. One of the things you do that drives me nuts is when you go the opposite way. Like oh my God, that makes me so crazy. Up on that. They're so <laughs> messed up now. Don't do that. Okay. So let's move on. Today, we're going to talk about seven signs that you're playing too small and how you can stop playing small. Yeah. Where did this come from? Why are we talking about this? I, I, actually, so I was listening to a, a podcast and it was something that came up. Um, and, you know, you hear you're, you're listening to something and someone says something kind of just like they, it was like almost a throwaway statement. Right. But what but it, what it was about was they were having a conversation. The two individuals were having a conversation in an Uber. And they were talking about some of the things that they were doing, you know, like what they were buying, what they were doing for their business. And the Uber driver said, oh, my God, I would never spend that kind of money on a car. Mm -hmm. Right. And so one of the guys was talking about that he just bought a Tesla. And then they just kind of got into the conversation how much it costs. And that person, the Uber driver, kind of chimed in. And then it made me think about like like certain things that people say consistently when I talk about either health or vacationing or aspirations. Uh, and I asked some, some people that um, I was interacting with and I said, you know, what is something if you had, you know, all the money in the world that you would never buy. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was, I can't think of one thing. Yeah. And, and it was like, I was curious and some of them said I would never buy a yacht. And I was like, I'm for sure. I'm for buying sure a yacht. Buying a yacht. <laughs> yeah. And then some people said I would, you know, they would never, buy too big of a, a house. And so I think I for sure want a right. 6,000 square foot house for two people. And, and so it made me think about, and this is not so much, and I don't want to get people to call up in like a materialistic no. thing, but it's like, you don't know what you would do 
if you had the money of, that many people of great wealth have, you have no idea what you would find interest in or mm -hmm. what you would see, hey, this is where I want to put my money in because this is what I want to do. This mm -hmm. is the, every time, every day I wake up in the morning, I want to wake up to a you know, large piece of land, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be, you have yeah. no clue. But oftentimes I hear people mostly speaking in a, a talking small or looking at things from a place of like their current situation mm -hmm. or the fact that they've they've hampered or they they simmered down their dreams because maybe it's, they don't see it in the cards for them or maybe they, they don't think they're capable or they're enough uh, or they don't want to do the work that possibly may go into that. So that's kind of where this came from. Yeah. So for me, just to kind of clarify, because it's not about the materialistic right. things, but we recently were in Italy. We saw um, off the island of Capri these mega yachts. Yeah. And we were like, what would it be like to even know someone that owns right. one of those? Right. I just want to experience it. Right. So like looking into well, what would it cost to just stay on one overnight? Like that intrigues me, right? Right. And so I think, you know, to your point, it's a little bit about exposure. Like mm -hmm. if you've never had exposure to those things, you think it is out of the out of right. range for you. Right? right. When you say uh, when I said I would love to own a 6000 square foot home immediately, I'm thinking I'd host retreats. I would host all the Christmas parties like right. I would gather my family like those are dreams come true for me, not because of the size of the house, but because of what I could do, what memories I could, you know, make in those in in a house like that. Does yeah, that make sense? hundred percent. Also, like a lot of people that are buying G wagons, like people, I would never spend that kind of money on a car. Well, you know what? They probably own a business. That car weighs over 6,000 pounds, which means it's a hundred percent capable of being written off for their business. People don't know those things. So from a place of you being a current Uber driver that can't even consider or fathom ever having the the money to own something like that, you say something like, I would never. Right. And that's kind of what we're challenging you with in this episode is like, what, what are you saying? Oh, I would never mm -hmm. from a place of current versus a place of like imagination and exploration and kind of just like adventure and thinking bigger. So that's yeah. what I hope that you get out of this episode. So there's seven things and we got this from Huffington Post. So we'll link the article in the show notes. But the number one sign that basically tells people this is a sign that you're playing too small is something that I think has gotten me not doing this has gotten me the farthest in my mm -hmm. life, which is I always say closed mouths don't get fed. Yeah. Number one is you wait to be asked. Yeah. No one's coming to ask you, hey, would you like an opportunity to own a six hundred thousand, six thousand dollar home? Would you like the opportunity to learn how to earn enough money to own a G wagon? Like, right. no one's gonna come and ask you these things. You've got to be curious and open minded, ask questions, be able to learn and discover new ways to maybe make money or earn money, and then I think the whole world opens up for you. Yeah, and God, it is, this is interesting because this is something I think ha has plagued me for a long, long time because, like, I was not geared mentally to ask for for things mm -hmm. or to ask for that promotion or to ask for that raise or any of those things, and so I think I've mentioned on a past episode like like sometimes. I remember feeling like, wow, when is someone going to notice me? It's like a pick me, pick me attitude. out of out of obscurity, just mm -hmm. like get plucked out of the out of you know the the crowd because someone notices something yeah. special in you. But that's a lot of assumptions, right? 
Because one of the things that we know about human beings is that mostly human beings are focused on themselves, mm -hmm. right? And then they're also looking at what you can contribute. So you almost, you have to raise your hand and you have to tell people what you can contribute. Yeah. But I think seeking permission or an invitation to me can leave you on the sidelines for a very long time. Well, if you wait to be asked, the opportunity may never come. Right. And so for me, you know, like since we've been married, I've always asked. Mm -hmm. I asked for the raises. I asked for the promotion, the transfer. I asked questions that may have made me look foolish, but I'm like, whatever, I'm here. Right. And I don't know the answer and I want to know how I can and how am I qualified and what do I need to do? And I wish somebody would not give me a job and right. then I don't ask them. So why didn't I get it? Right. Like I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable because I ask so many questions. So and I think I think some people feel like and I know that I'm in this camp and I'm, and I'm working on like raising my hand. I've been doing that more. But I think some people think that hard work is enough mm -hmm. and it's not. No. Right. No hard work. Um, you showing up, being consistent, it's just not enough. Right? And I think no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, you know what? I think you might be eligible right. for a promotion if you just, you know, threw your name in the hat. Like yeah. that doesn't happen often. You got to right. show a bit of hunger. And if this, this is how you know it's true. If you know that there are individuals that have, you know, succeeded or surpassed you in, in a career or a business and you know that you have more talent and more skill than them. And you've, we've all seen it before. A lot of times it comes down to the fact that they just raised their hand. Yeah. A lot of times it comes down to the fact that they were willing to put themselves out there and you were in the shadows thinking that your quiet, hard work was going to be something that shined through. And it's just not the case. And we talked about this in a previous episode, like questions that are harmful, asking why. Right. Why is this person winning when I'm so talented? Why is this person getting all this recognition? Why does this person have so many followers and I'm struggling? Ask better questions. Right. What are they doing that I can maybe, you know, take a page from? What opportunities are they searching for that I don't even know about? Right. right. And so asking what questions will help you, I think, take better action right. versus victimizing yourself, staying stuck, waiting for someone to pick you or tap you on the shoulder or an opportunity to find you. Sometimes you got to find those opportunities yourself. Right. So moving on to number two, we see this a lot in our students who are business owners that we're trying to coach and, you know, get them to put themselves out there. But fear completely holds you back. Yeah. And I think this is something I, I encounter quite a bit when when I'm asking people about like some they'll share with me something they want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I go back and I follow up and say, how's it going? I go, oh, I still haven't done it. I'm, I'm still trying to like figure something and they come up with all these like different uh, re reasons and mm -hmm. we call them, uh, you know, they rationalize, they ration little lies about why they haven't done anything to make themselves feel better. But the, it, the thing is, is that you can't let fear dictate your life. And if you do, you're waiting for fear to subside and that won't never happen. Yeah. And so that can, you know, qu squash all your aspirations and you don't move. And I think you build the confidence from action. Like you do it once and you're like, oh, shit, I didn't die. Oh, shit, that wasn't that bad. And then it, you keep at it and there, the practice with the practice comes the confidence. So that kind of segues into number three. The number three reason why uh, you might be playing small is because criticism crushes you. It's too much to fathom, you know, somebody coming for you and saying something negative or providing feedback that might hurt your feelings. So if you're someone who's easily crushed by criticism, you're probably playing really small. Yeah, because 
feedback is this is when it's like when feedback instead of it driving you or building building block for you it impairs you mm -hmm. and what i mean by impairs you is that it becomes this thing that now you're focused on instead of focusing on the possibilities and the potential of move of, of doing something because there's nothing in the world that was built off of everything working out perfectly right right all the time all the time medical advancements technology is all about like feedback and i think what people people can handle in a lot of times them testing something and not working but what people can't handle is other people telling them hey here's some feedback mm -hmm. for you you know this is how i think this just shows up and taking that and saying, okay, what do I do with that so that I can make it work for me instead of it being something that just like throws them out of the, the loop. And now all of a sudden now they've lost all their confidence. Yeah. So someone who is crushed by criticism, this reminds me of, again, like our students who may be small business owners, maybe they're creators of some sort. Maybe they are putting a product out there that, you know, they're worried the feedback is not going to be received, the, that it won't be received really well. and it's kind of like you get a hundred positive compliments, but you get one negative Yelp review. Yeah. I've been guilty of like only focusing on the one negative. And then that's when I was like, okay, stop it. This comes with the territory. Move on. I'm not going to let the criticism crush me. Absolutely. And I think that the key is not letting feedback become a limitation, but a block that you build on to learn from. Right. And so I think that is so important because when the limitation hack occurs and then you start to internalize it and you start to believe that it is the obstacle that is going to stop you from doing anything, then you're definitely going to play small going forward because now you think that, oh, I have this problem that I can never improve upon. Yeah. So the rule for us in the bakery was if we got a negative Yelp comment or Yelp review, we would always just say, okay, find any truth in it and let's build on that. Let's get better. So if someone said, oh, your cupcakes were dry, we would pull them out, rip them apart. Are they dry? Ask a couple customers to try them. And, you know, maybe that's something, you know, we've been wanting to retest this recipe anyways. Maybe this is the nudge that you needed. So right. always finding something to build upon, I think, became a really great way for us to move our products and our business forward at the Cake Mamas. Yeah, 100%. Do you want to go number four? Um, yeah, number four. Do I even have the list? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have it. So okay. number four, you hide your voice. And mm. this one is big because I definitely think that we have to self-advocate. I'm a big proponent of self-advocation. Yeah. And I think you have to like learn to love your own perspective. And with that, like while owning your own perspective, while loving yourself, still being open to feedback. Because I think that one, if you if people hear number four, they think that, okay, now I don't have to hear feedback. No, you should still be open to feedback. How you use that feedback and you internalize it from a standpoint of how you make it still authentic to you is so important. In the in the article that we were referencing, she uses a quote from Jay-Z, which I love. She says, um, remind yourself, nobody's built like you. You design yourself. Mm -hmm. And it just reminds you of like, you are a product of your own design, mm -hmm. right? And if you continue to evolve and you continue to understand that there are different ways and new ways that you can present something, whether it be a business, how you come up and how you show up and work, all those different things, like you design yourself. And we often hear people say that, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to be fake. I want to be authentic to myself. I don't mm -hmm. want to, like they, they hear feedback, but then they think if I introduce this feedback and I use it to improve upon, I'm not being real to myself. Mm -hmm. Now that's part of the design. Yeah. Right. An architect doesn't like go to the engineer and the engineer says, well, this won't work. Oh, 
no, I'm going to keep it like this because I want to be all true to my artistic design. Yeah. They're like, no, structurally, it's not going to yeah, work. That shit's going to fall. <laughs> yeah. So they have to make adjustments and we all have to make adjustments based on that, on that feedback while considering like what things still matter to you that are important. Yeah. So like for me, someone hiding their voice in the small business space is like you have a talent, a gift, a skill, a passion, something you're really wanting to bring to life, but you're talking yourself out of it and you're saying, ah, it's already been done. Like this one, you know, this website's really great. This person's got it down. Like, ah, you know, the world doesn't need another cookie shop. Like there's already cookies out there. And why would mine be different? Like you're just making it small, hiding your own voice, talent, gifts, passions, whatever. But then you got a company like Crumble that comes out and they're just making cookies and they blow up. Yeah. Because why? They made cookies in their voice with their voice using their vision and what they wanted to create this cookie company to be. But they could have said, ah, Mrs. Fields has already done this. The world doesn't need another cookie shop. And that goes back to like the number one. Like it's like they didn't wait for permission to exist. And I think some people were like waiting for like, oh, I'm waiting for someone to say, okay, now it's your turn. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, to step into this space. Like the world is big. And we countless times in this podcast, we talked about how we'll find something that millions of other people know about, but we have no clue about. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that is true in every aspect. And I think that the the key thing is I'll ask you this, like, how do you maintain your like authentic self in, you know, while taking on people's feedback? Like, how have you been able to, to navigate that? Because. I think that's an important question for people because they like, oh, if I get feedback, like, how do I keep my what I think is really important to me, mm-hmm. but also uh, entertain that feedback? I think from like from a business perspective, like I built the Cake Mamas to serve a community. Obviously, the goal is to make money. If I'm getting feedback that something's not working or a product is not good, that feedback has to make my business better. It's got to be something that I can tweak to say, hey, we got it right, now come in and try it again. And so I guess that leads into number five, which is no murders your hustle, right? Right. So any sort of like no rejection, um, you take it personally and you're like, oh, I must not be meant to do this. Oh, one person said, you know, that my cupcakes were dry, so I'm just going to close my business and maybe it's not meant, meant for me to be a business owner. Right. It doesn't work like that. Like there's going to be one person that says no all the time. Yeah. And we talked about that a lot in the you know previous podcast episodes where we were traveling and everybody we talked to that heard the story, people that watched the, the YouTube or the podcast were like, uh, I would have given up a long time ago. And we're like, yeah, no, like, <laughs> we're not no people like right. your no telling us we can't get on this plane is not a solid confirmation right. that we were just not meant to vacation in Italy. Like yeah. I never once thought that. And so people that are like being murdered, your hustles murdered by no, um, you usually hear the no and then you take it as a, a sign from the universe and it's confirmation that uh, I'm not supposed to pursue this anyways. Right. I hear people do it all the time. Oh, this just means it's not a good time for me. You know, maybe just not right now. I'm like, "Mm, maybe this just means that you need to find someone that will say yes. Yeah. And and I'll say this. I'll say it into the camera. No is part of the journey. (laughs) No is part of the journey. It's not the end. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so important because as feedback can turn into a no, right? So like four turning into five and, and from the list standpoint, like, Sometimes you have to use discernment of saying, 
Well, I think that this feedback is more of projection. And where is the evidence that this may be true? And you have to like investigate it. Mm-hmm. And I think you just don't take the the, the feedback and, and just say, oh, okay, and, and that take it as truth. You have to take it as as more information and inputs that you need to take in so that your outputs are improved. And I think that no is part of that, right? No is is something that if you're if you've got a business that you're trying to move forward, it's not for everyone, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to be for people who appreciate and value it. And if it's something, if it's an idea that you have that you value, there is a sector of the world that values it. It may be small, it may be right. very large, but just know along the way, the no's are going to point you in the right direction to where those people are. And but, I think that, you know, as a no will turn into a yes. And I feel like it just reminds me of like people go on Shark Tank all the time. I don't even know if that show's still running, but people go on Shark Tank all the time and most of them don't wind up getting a deal. Right. But then the company blows up because someone else was like, hey, I got to reach out to them. Right. I've got a factory in Ohio. You can come and, you know, use this. And opportunities come from the nose, I think, is what I've been shown in my life. Yeah. So I like nose. And it, they're it, challenging. A hundred percent. And it's funny because when we're teaching sales and teaching people how to sell, right? Every tactic that you can learn, everything that you can learn around how you place words, when you ask questions, all those things are great. And they're going to improve your chances of actually making a sale. They're not a hundred percent. Nothing mm-hmm. is. Yeah. But one of the things I always tell people that's so important is every time you get a no, you take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. You don't blame the customer. You mm-hmm. don't blame the individual that said no. You blame yourself. And the reason why you do that is because that's the only way you can improve, mm-hmm. right? And so when you get a no from someone about a business opportunity or about a career advancement, the key is to find out, okay, how do I improve in a way that makes it more persuasive, more influential, uh, makes it more, see, people can see the value in it, right? And I think that that is the best way to do it. Otherwise, what people do is they blame no on the other person. Mm-hmm. They say, well, you know, they didn't want it. And so, you know, I, I don't have to change anything. I think the best example I can give of this is Kayla, our middle daughter. She lives in Scotland. She's trying to find an apartment right now. And we're letting her kind of do it hands off. Like you're, right. an, you're an adult, whatever, find your apartment. And so finally, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, all right, here's the thing. It's been a couple months. You've been looking. She's like, everyone's telling us, no, we're not even getting considered. And I go, okay, what can we do differently? Right. Then, because what we're doing is not working. Right. <laughs> right. So and she's like, I don't know. This is just how you do it. You send in an application. No. Okay. So let's look at the facts. There are 50 to 100 people applying for one place. Right. How can we stand out? Can you get letters of recommendation from the parents? Can you get personal financial guarantor letters? Can you offer to pay six months rent so that's enticing for um, an apartment you know, owner? Can you go in person instead of getting lost in the shuffle of you know emails and applications that have been submitted online? Like there are so many things right. we could be doing differently that could potentially help turn a no into a yes. And if we want to find an apartment, we have to do something different. Right. right? So, so many people though are just like, oh, I I didn't, I never found one. Like it didn't work out. So I got to move home. It wasn't in the cards for me. Like it just wasn't my time. No, not true. Take responsibility, take some ownership, figure out how to do something different and you can turn the nose around. And I think that's the best advice you can get for for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Number six of the seven signs that you're playing small. Number six is 
And I see this so often in women. I love you. I love us. But we have to get better at this. We crowd our life and our days with all this insignificant shit that does not move us closer to our dreams, our passions, our desires, our goals. And so we're constantly freaking busy. Yeah. Anytime I run into a female friend and I say, how are you doing? They're like, oh, so busy. Right. Well, what about that business idea that you had? Oh, I just haven't had time. Right. What are you doing? You know, I got to take my kids to and from school. I got to do da 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 I get it. Your kids are a responsibility. I've got those too. And we do have responsibilities, but oftentimes we sign up for more responsibilities that turn into busy work that doesn't really require us to be a part of it. Yeah. So you don't have to volunteer to go on every field trips for all of your kids' classes. You don't have to volunteer to be the baseball or the softball mom and take all the kids everywhere. You don't have to volunteer to be the one mom that's bringing all the kids home to five different houses. Like, What are we not saying no to that we need to say no to in order to free up some time to be able to play a bigger role in the achievement of our goals? Yeah. And I think this is, this is about distraction, right? This is about the fact that uh, people will fill their lives with distractions to take away or or not have to think about like the thing, the task at hand. And I think, uh, you know, distractions directs destination. Mm-hmm. And so if I am distracted, that's where I'm directed mm-hmm. and that's going to be my destination. And so that will be where I put all my energy instead of the, putting energy in the big thing that I know I really want to do. Uh, and I keep putting it off. And so the, the it's just a head fake to like like what you truly want. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that I think a lot of people do. I think we see it in women a lot. I think that dis- those distractions can be for men when it comes to sports. All the time. Um, you know, video games, yep. all those different things. There's simply distractions. I'm not saying there's not a place for it, mm-hmm. right? There's always a place for the things that you like, you know, that you know, you like to take advantage of, hobbies you like to do. But when they start to really absorb your dreams and they become your destination and you start to like direct your day based on those things, then that is when you actually are playing super, super small um, because there's more uh, to life than just running errands or getting home and and playing video games. And I think that like if you really want something, you got to understand you can want a lot of things but you cannot have everything. Like everything mm-hmm. at one time is impossible. Right. That's when you wind up hearing people say, there's not enough hours in the day. I got too much stuff going on. So watch the things that fall to the wayside though. Right. Your health falls to the wayside. Your big dreams and visions fall to the wayside. The business idea that you have. So maybe you need to stop cooking dinner every single night. You need a meal prep and you right. need to have leftovers a couple nights a week. Maybe you need to hire the kid next door to come over and do laundry or watch your kid to free up a couple of hours a week, right? Maybe like you at one point, you need to just stop Stop watching sports, caring about every other player's stats and focus on your own stats. Right. Right. And so a lot of the things that we're sharing on here, we've gone through a season of this. And so we're hoping that you stop playing small um, and learn from some of our advice and some of our mistakes. The last one, number seven, uh, nobody knows what you do. <laughs> and what is that? What does that mean for you? To me, that means that no one knows what you do because you're not your own advocate, mm-hmm. right? And so we we know that sales is the most important thing that you can do in this, in this plan. You have to sell yourself. You have to sell your business. You have to sell your aspirations. But I think if if people this this is one of those things where you're you're, you're waiting for someone to, to to notice you. Um, but 
what I think that what this means is like, like if you're not your most, your biggest advocate, if you're not your biggest spokesperson mm-hmm. about what you do, who is going to be? Yeah. So, so many times I'll talk or meet, you know, someone I'll be talking to you, what I've discovered is now a, a small business owner. And I'm like, oh, but what do you do? Oh, yeah, I just have this little blog on the side, you know. Oh, I just started making treats from home. Or, right. Oh, I just take the occasional photo of family and friends and they always put it down. Right. Like, oh, it's just a small thing that I do. Um, Rachel Hollis said that she did this when she'd be at family parties and said, I just have a little blog. Well, the blog was making a million dollars a year and you're just still kind of belittling it. Right. And so when I go to these like baking conferences and I'm a speaker, people come up to me after and I always ask them, oh, tell me about what you do. Oh, I just have a little, you know, small business. What do I do every single time? Yes. They say, stop playing small. Stop playing small. <laughs> stop telling people that it's a small business. Do you want it to be a small business? No. Okay, stop like manifesting it. Right. Make it a big deal. Like you're going to be the only person that ever advocates for the thing that you're passionate about. And so what nobody knows about you, nobody knows what you do. Like what that means is you're playing small by kind of minimizing the importance of it in your life and you're putting it on the back burner probably and you're not giving it the credit or the relevance that it needs to be able to not be a small thing anymore. Yeah, and I think it allows you to to fail in in, in silence or fail in in secrecy, mm-hmm. right? And what I mean by that is like you know, if you don't proclaim to the world what you do, then it's very easy to stop doing it and no one notices it. Yeah. And there's no one holding you accountable for the thing that you put out there saying that you would do. Because the reality is, is that we we struggle with our own kind of self-integrity mm-hmm. of saying, I said I was going to do this. I'm going to go out and do it. And so we we sometimes rely on when we put things out to the outside world. Now we think people are relying on us to deliver on what we said we were going to deliver. And that can create some motivation. The that accountability. Cre- the accountability can create some motivation. It can keep you like really focused on, okay, well, I told these most important people in my life that I was going to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I need to stay with it. Instead of it being one of those things where I, you know, I in secrecy, I just stop. Yeah. Right. Because I never told anyone I was working on this. They don't know that I'm working on this. Mm-hmm. So no one's counting on me. And so it's very easy for me to just to kind of put it to bed when I get hit with all these other things like no yeah. or feedback or, or fear. Mm-hmm. So I love it on this article, the Huffington Post article. It says no one's going to search for your fairy dust. Hmm. So either you sprinkle it on them or they'll find someone else who will. Love that. And I will just tell you, this happens anytime I want to hire a contractor. If I was looking to get quotes on having my pool remodeled, I notice that these business owners come in and they're either really good at talking about their business or they're like, yeah, I'll get back to you in a week or so, give you a quote. Like, you didn't sprinkle any fairy dust on me. Right. So guess what happens? The next guy comes in and he's really great about, oh, yeah, what do you think about this? We could do this. Isn't that sprinkling fairy dust? Sell right. me on your shit. If you have a business, I want to feel like I'm making the right choice. And right. so I think you need to sprinkle fairy dust all day long. All day long. <laughs> so I hope this episode was informative. I hope it gets you to think that um, you might be playing small in different areas of your life. Yeah in ways that maybe you're not recognizing. So that's what the Push Podcast is about, right? Giving you perspective of things that maybe you're just kind of, I don't want to say stuck in a rut, but it's like become your everyday kind of norm. And we want to shake that up a bit. Yeah, and and the last thing I'll say about this is when we were talking about like what you would do if you had endless amount of money, it's the the reason why we connected it to this topic because I want people to really capture this is 
if you didn't have fear, what would you do? Mm -hmm. You would do a lot of things, mm -hmm. right? If you didn't worry about feedback or if you weren't stopped by feedback, if no didn't bother you, if you raised your hand and you put yourself out there, if you were your own advocate without shame, without shame, like what would you do? And I think that that's the same thing if I said, if I gave you a trillion dollars, what would you do? And I think that you don't know. Mm -hmm. and, well, that means, do? and that means anything is possible, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that you have to stretch yourself to the limits of what you physically can do. And I think you have to see what's, what, what, can I, what can I possibly do? If I took on, if I removed all those things from my life, what would I be able to accomplish? And I think I do that often. Like I was um, bike riding at the beach the other day and I looked up, you know, how much are these houses? $36 million for a beachfront property in Los Angeles County. That's absurd right. to me, right? But I didn't say, oh, I could never. I would never spend right. that money. I sent you a message. I said, we got to figure out how people are able to make $36 million to live in a property like this. Right. What are they doing? What do they know that we don't know? What is this profession? Like, what what kind of money is this money that was passed down? Like, right. I'm just so curious about it. I'm not upset about it. I want right. to know because how can we like be a part of something like that, right? And, and I think what people need to understand is not about the materialistic thing. It's like like who we have to become, what type of contribution, because our, your wealth isn't in comparison to your contribution, right? It is whatever you're able to contribute to society will determine your wealth. And if you add value to society, if you are a person that helps and you, you, you've you created something that made things easier, more accessible, affordable, whatever the case may be, you're going to have great wealth. Mm -hmm. This is why people like you know Jeff Bezos has great wealth. Why? Because now we can buy things at a click of a button and it's at your doorstep the next day, mm -hmm. right? 30 years ago, 20 years ago, that wasn't even a thing. Mm -hmm. He made that possible. So now people's businesses move faster. Your life moves faster. There's one less thing that you have to do. So he's added value to your life. And so that's why he has great wealth. But I think that those are the things that you have to like understand is like he had to become something in order to do that. Yeah. Right. So what's your big thing before we end the episode? Like if you were to think and dream really big, maybe you're playing small around something and you were like, what, what's a big, I don't know if you call it like a bucket list thing some sort of desire that you're like, I could slowly start working towards this. Do you have something? Yeah, I think I would say for me, being able to share like the thoughts and ideas I think that can help people to millions of people on a grand stage would be something I would love to do. Okay, so like a Tony Robbins. Yeah, me and Tony just chilling. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, for me, my big thing like as of last night is I want to take a six-month vacation. Oh, you mentioned that last night. Yeah, you were falling asleep. <laughs> you didn't share my excitement. So maybe I'm going without you. But um, immediately I was like, okay, how could you go on a six-month vacation? Like I'm not talking about just like to Iowa. Right. I'm talking about like travel to 20 countries in six months. Right. Like how much do you think that would cost? So you were starting to fall asleep and I was like, how much do you think that would cost to just like for us to leave for six months? And you said $500,000. And I go, that's stupid. <laughs> you don't need a half a million dollars to go on vacation. And he's like, yes, you do. I said, no, you don't. So you started falling asleep. I don't know if you heard me, but I was like, okay, let's say airfare. 
If you book it ahead of time, you're going to go one place really, really far. And if the flight was really expensive, it'd be $1,200, right? So right. let's just say $2,400 to get somewhere really, really far from California, right? Then let's make that times three because every two months, we're going to take a large flight and go to another continent or something, right? So that comes out to $7,200. Let's just say on average, we were to be modest, $300 a night times 183 nights, that's six months, that comes out to $55,000. That's a lot of money, but okay, $55,000 plus $7,200. Right. Food, $200 a day times 183 days is $37,000. So this is how my brain works. I'm mm -hmm. like, I want to do something. What would it cost me? I'm not saying I have this money, but this is a basic math equation, right? right? So then- I did um, on excursions. What we, we don't want to just go. Usually you rent a beach bed. You want to go like, I don't know, swim in a blue lagoon. How much is this stuff? I, on the high side, said $200 a day times 183 um, days. That's $37,000. Transportation, inter-island flights, <laughs> bus passes. Like you just got to get around. Maybe you need right. Ubers. I estimated 150 per person every two weeks. That's 3900 for transportation, additional airfare. So that's 150 per person every two weeks. Basically, this whole thing is less than $145,000. Okay. But, but that should blow your mind because you said, oh, that would be $500,000. Well, okay. so, so keep this in mind, too. Did you sell everything in your regular life? It doesn't matter. Well, All you I have keep to those do, things running. it doesn't matter. <laughs> All I have to do is look at like my annual expenses for my house. I'd probably rent my house out for six months, like right. figure out a way to generate enough money to cover my bills here in California. And then I just got to make $145,000 and I'm gone for six months. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, when you first asked me, I want I was falling asleep. I had to I know, all day, but I'm just letting you know, like <laughs> this is one of those examples yeah. of like if you're playing small, you're gonna think I could never afford to go anywhere for six months. Right. If you're like, hey, I'm I'm not gonna take no for an answer. I'm not gonna trust that it's five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> and we could never spend a half a million dollars on vacationing. Right. I'm like, how could I make this work? Like, well, I was thinking about all, only the lap of luxury. I was thinking, you know, okay, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but also, there are websites out there that, which I'll find out what they are and I'll link them for you guys or we'll talk about them in another episode. But there are literally websites where you can say you select a destination, a country, uh, Barcelona, Spain. I want to go here for two months. For 60 days, I'm going to be offering my services, whether that's online coaching, small business support, whatever it is, whatever it is I do. I'm a photographer or whatever. And they'll say, you know what? We'd love for you to come and do photography for us um, at our hotel. And in exchange, we're going to give you free room and board for two months. So I just saved how much money for 60 yeah, days. That's great. I, I can make this happen. Yeah, I so know you I'm can. just letting you know. So anyways, I hope this episode was valuable to you. If you loved it, if you got something good out of it, if there's someone you know that needs a little bit of a push, share this episode. Take 30 seconds to rate and review the podcast. Make sure you subscribe. And we will see you in the next episode. All right. Push through. Thank you for listening to the Push Podcast. 
hey, we want to hear from you. So if you have a question or there's a particular topic that you want us to tackle and you want us to help you push through, you got to do something for us. You got to go to Apple Podcasts and you got to leave a rating and a review. And in that review, go ahead and leave that question with your Instagram handle so that we can shout you out when we actually answer the question. And we'll talk about that on the podcast and make sure that, hey, this particular podcast is made for you. So leave a rating, leave a review, leave your handle. And until next time, push through.